Welcome to the Abundant Edge Podcast. Here we dive deep into the diverse worlds of regenerative living, permaculture, and natural building as we aspire to help you reach your highest potential for yourself, for your community, and for this beautiful planet that we share. As always, I'm your host, Oliver Gaucher, and I'm thrilled to guide you through this week's episode. So let's jump right in. Essentials, written by the world's leading sustainable builders, designers, and engineers, New Society Publishers' Sustainable Building Essentials series covers the full range of natural and green building techniques with a focus on sustainable materials and methods and code compliance. From rainwater harvesting to composting toilets to straw bale, rammed earth, hempcrete, and more, these unique books present the essential information on each topic. Find out more about the Sustainable Building Essentials series at NewSociety.com. Are you the owner or promotions manager for a regenerative business or organization looking to get your message out to a larger audience? Finding your target audience for regenerative products and services can be tough, especially while the movement is still in its infancy and awareness around the importance of ethical business still has a long way to go. If you want to tap into a network of informed and motivated people with strong environmental and community ethics who vote with their purchases, then you've come to the right place. The Abundant Edge podcast now has more than 30,000 monthly listeners around the world and is growing fast. These are listeners who are actively involved in the regeneration of our planet and are enthusiastically supporting businesses and projects that reflect their priorities. We now offer competitive sponsorship packages for single episodes and discounted rates for multiple episodes, social media campaigns, promotional videos, and more. The best part is that all your investment goes straight into making this podcast the best resource for regenerative skills education that it can be. Because of our commitment to the integrity of our message and our affiliations, this offer is only open to businesses and organizations that are as committed to regenerative work as we are. If this sounds like a good fit for you, Go to the show notes for this episode to fill out the collaborator application form. We look forward to helping you reach your highest potential. Continuing with this series of exploring natural building materials, design techniques, and traditions, I spoke with my friend Trey Abernethy, a longtime builder and now a bamboo craftsman. For over a decade, Trey worked in the industrial building trades before moving to Costa Rica, where he took a bamboo building course with Bridolfo Sains that changed his trajectory. Trey now co-teaches bamboo building techniques with Rodolfo and designs and builds for clients in Costa Rica. In this interview, we cover a bit of every part of bamboo as a construction material, from the environmental benefits of planting bamboo calms, to selecting varieties for construction, to treatment methods, joinery techniques, design considerations, and long-term maintenance. Now, I've been passionate about the potential of bamboo for a while now and even did an internship with my friend and mentor, Charlie Rendell, which led to designing and building a few hybrid structures and homes around Guatemala. So if any of you are looking for more information on bamboo after you've listened to this episode, I would really recommend the previous interview I did with Charlie Rendell, which you can find links for in the show notes for this episode. We refer to a handful of other natural building materials and techniques in this session, so don't forget to have a look at the archives of the Abundant Edge podcast, including articles on various earth and building techniques. Gradually, I intend to build an audio library of natural building, so stay tuned in the future and keep a lookout for previous episodes on these topics. Now I'll hand things over to Trey. Hey, Trey, thanks so much for taking the time to be with us here today. How are you doing, buddy? Hey, Oliver. Very good, man. Uh, excited to do this interview with you. 
Look, it's my pleasure. You and I have been in touch kind of off and on ever since you reached out to me via the podcast. And I'm really excited to finally dive in deep about all the experience and the knowledge that you have around bamboo. So what do you say we just jump right in? Sounds great, man. All right. So do us a favor and tell me a little bit about your personal background and how you became interested in bamboo building specifically. Sure. Um, so I'm originally from Florida. Uh, I've been living in Costa Rica the last five and a half years. Um, I've been a builder and a contractor for the last 16 years. Uh, most of my adult life, I started um, in the construction industry and trade, uh, building new homes when I was 21 years old um, in Florida and uh, worked in the conventional construction industry for you know 12, uh, 12 years or so before I moved to Costa Rica. Uh, a lot of that time building new homes, spec homes, you know, just like cookie cutter box, traditional wood framed construction um, houses in Florida, and then got into like uh, remodeling and uh, working with a worked with a, a contractor there that was kind of like a master of all trades and, and learned everything, you know, from plumbing to electric to AC and high vac. And, um, you know, we built docks and sheds and additions and, um, that was a great learning experience uh, to work with that guy for three years and really put a lot of um, valuable skills and knowledge under my belt. And then the last four years I was in uh, Florida, I had my own company uh, contracting. So yeah, I worked uh, with this local contractor in Florida for about three years. Um, got a lot of experience uh, in all facets of construction um, and remodeling with him. And then uh, the last four years I was in Florida I held my own company, mostly doing uh, remodel work, uh, a lot of painting and, and tile and flooring work. Um, and uh, yeah, I was just very dissatisfied with uh, the conventional construction methods and just the waste and the, uh, the toxicity of a lot of the materials and things I was using. Um, so in Florida, you know, I had a, uh, always been interested in organic uh gardening and, and farming and had my own gardens and stuff and then really got into permaculture and with that exploration into permaculture uh went hand in hand with natural building and got very uh interested in in cob and plasters and things in florida and took some workshops there and um really uh got involved in some cool projects some some cob and adobe and, and plaster projects in florida and that really sparked my interest in the natural building world and, um, you know, I was, I was curious and interested in bamboo. There just wasn't a lot of opportunity to explore that in Florida. Um, but so when, when I moved to Costa Rica, um, you know, I took my permaculture design course here a few weeks after moving uh, to Costa Rica at the end of 2013. And uh, directly following that, there was an opportunity to take a week-long bamboo and cob and plaster course with a master uh, Tico, a Costa Rica um, builder. And, um, yeah, I took that right after my permaculture design course. And that's really where my love for bamboo and excitement, uh, for bamboo started. And, um, that was the beginning of my, my journey into the world of bamboo. Fantastic. I love this story because it has so much kind of in parallel with my own. Like I worked in conventional building for about eight years all around the U S and Canada before I started to get interested in natural building and all the things that you can do with local unprocessed materials. And that sort of went hand in hand with an understanding of the local ecosystem, how to produce your own food, permaculture design in general, and 
the the way that those two interrelate has always been really inspiring to me. So I'm wondering, with that very fast learning track that you hit when you got to Costa Rica, what were some of the connectors between permaculture design and your love of natural materials that you started to explore? Well, um, when I when I moved to Costa Rica, I moved to a 175 acre uh, off grid permaculture farm. Um, that was a budding intentional community. And so luckily, you know, after taking my PDC and then the uh, bamboo course, I was able to put all that directly into practice on the farm, uh, implementing some, some permaculture systems and gardens. And then uh, starting, uh, luckily there was a lot of bamboo on the farm and actually the owner had a lot of cured and treated bamboo stockpiled. So we dove right into, um, you know, some, some building, some bamboo projects, and it was great to be able to, you know, put it directly into practice. A lot of times people take PDCs and then, or even natural building courses, and then they just go back to their nine to five job and don't really have the opportunity to put, put it right into practice. And, and I was lucky in that regard that I was, you know, on a permaculture farm with a lot of bamboo and, and some building projects to implement. Um, and so I was able to, to take that knowledge and that experience and put it right into practice. And, um, yeah, I mean, I, I you know, I've, I've been a builder all my life. So a lot of, uh, working with bamboo is pretty intuitive. Um, there's, you know, a lot of specialty techniques and cuts and, and joinery and lashing and things, but, um, you know, I was able to just dive right in and we, we built some really cool, uh, rancho structure on the farm and, um, and then it was actually the next year um, that I was able to uh, put on a, a, a little course with my mentor, Rodolfo Sainz, who I took the bamboo course with. And we did a little course on the, on the farm there that I was uh, living at. And that was my intro into teaching. He was the main instructor. I was, you know, that was in 2015. That was the, uh, the first course that I organized uh, with Rodolfo being the main instructor and me being an adjunct instructor. And, um, that was my intro into teaching bamboo, you know, having worked with it for a little over a year on a consistent basis. Um, it was, it was, I saw that there was so much interest in the local area and bamboo and not a lot of people working with it. Um, so that's when I contacted Rodolfo, who was my mentor and, you know, um, who I had been studying with. Uh, he had actually come and helped with a project uh, locally in the Valley. and. Um, yeah, that was kind of my intro into into teaching, and and now I've been teaching with Rodolfo the last three years. We uh, we just put on a course back in May, which was our uh, fifth course we've done together. Fantastic! Now, look, let's. I really want to explore kind of the whole side of bamboo building and how this industry uh, affects so many different parts of a community and an ecosystem. But let's start with the potential of bamboo building. Tell me about some of the things that you can do with it, um, obviously focusing first on buildings and also what some of the limitations of bamboo are. Sure. Yeah. So, you know, in my mind, bamboo is the uh, what's the most regenerative building product on the planet. It's, it's beyond sustainable in the fact that it's a large grass that shoots up new columns every year. So, you know, unlike comparative to a hardwood tree, it may take 40, 60, even 80 years to mature to be able to cut down and use for a building. Um, a, a typical bamboo clump can produce 20 to 40 new combs every year 
um, for 100 to 150 years. There's, um, you know, as a lifespan of bamboo, it, it goes to seed one time in its life and then the clump will die. Um, but, you know, it, it, it's, you can plant a bamboo plant from a cutting or from a rhizome cutting and within four years to four to five years, depending on the species, you can start to harvest combs. And then every year you're going to have new ones shoot up. So it's, it's a beyond sustainable, it's a regenerative building product. And the uh, applications for bamboo are, you know, extreme. Like the, there's, you know, thousands of industrial uses for bamboo. I'm sure a lot of people are familiar with bamboo flooring and, you know, bamboo kitchen implements and bowls and plates and, and all kinds of things like that. But in the, in the building world, um, you know, I think there's a lot of misconceptions with bamboo around the world. It's kind of considered a poor man's building product because it is very susceptible to um, bug infestation and, and has a high sugar and starch content. So um, bugs do want to eat it, termites and beetles. But when it's properly treated, it can and is a, a lifetime building product. And, um, you know, we, we treat bamboo with a solution of borax and boric acid, which is uh, naturally occurring compounds that are um, pretty harmless to the environment. Uh, even in a high concentration, you could pour it out on, uh, it's basically a naturally occurring salt is what borax is. And it's a, it's a very inert um, solution to use to treat bamboo and it's very effective. So basically, you know, you, you, we use a butchery system, which is a uh, pressurized treatment system that um, you have like a rubber boot and hoses and, and a tank and it's, uh, you strap it onto the bamboo and, you know, you tighten down your rubber fitting and you force the solution into the wall of the, the bamboo at 16 PSI pounds per square inch. And what it does is it basically pushes out the sugar waters in the bamboo and replaces it with the borax boric acid water. Um, now do you have to perforate each of the nodes before you force that through? Not in the, uh, you do in a, in a dunk tape, uh, a dunk take uh, scenario where you're soaking the bamboo in a solute in a vat or a tank of solution. Um, but in the butchery method, it actually percolates through the, the cell walls, uh, the fiber walls of the, the bamboo and it, it doesn't actually fill each nodal cavity. It, uh, it, it just percolates and pushes it through the capillary of, of the bamboo outer walls. So, you know, bamboo is hollow um, and it has uh, separate nodal sections and there's a, a solid, a solid little wall in between each nodal section. And yes, you, you are correct. If you are doing a dunk tape, a dunk tank, uh, solution, or treatment, you do have to perforate each uh, nodal wall with like a long piece of sharpened rebar or something uh, from each end so that the, the solution will percolate into it and fill each um, nodal cavity. But with the butchery system, which is very uh, efficient um, and uses a lot less solution, you know, in a dunk tank, you have to imagine if you're doing eight meter pieces, you have to have like a huge dunk tank and, you know, hundreds of gallons of solution and which can be very expensive to, um, to put together. But the butchery system that my friend has created and I've implemented um, or copied with my, my system is very uh, effective and uses a very small amount of solution comparatively. 
All right. So tell me a little bit more about kind of the building potential of bamboo, what it can be used for, but also some applications where it's not appropriate. Sure. So bamboo doesn't like direct sun exposure or uh, water. So, you know, you, you don't want to use bamboo in a scenario where it's going to be getting direct rain on it a lot or direct water exposure or a lot of direct sun exposure because it can, the sun can make it crack. Um, so, you know, bamboo can be used in conjunction with cob, in conjunction with hempcrete, in, a, in conjunction with, uh, you know, earthen materials and plasters. It could be the framing of the walls. It can even be used uh, as wattle, you know, for the wattle and daub um, cobbing. Um, it can be, you can split bamboo and make it into esteria, which is like, you know, the split bamboo that you fold out flat. Yeah, we've used that a lot. It's like making it into panels, right? That are still mostly stuck together, but there's a lot of splits in between. Sure. Yeah, exactly. So you can, uh, you can split it at each node with a, like a hatchet. And then, um, you're not, you're not doing contiguous lines. So it's not like, uh, it's not like a separate splits that makes like little, um, you know, like two inch or one inch splits that are, that are separated. It's, it's leaving the whole piece of bamboo together. And then once you break each nodal cavity with a hatchet, then you, then you do a continuous cut down one seam and then it folds out flat. Um, and then that can be used, at, you know, directly on walls and left exposed as a, as a direct, uh, a decorative element, a finished element, or it can be used um, on the framing of a bamboo wall as a substrate to a, apply cob to. Um, so, you know, here in the tropics, we don't need the thermal mass that, that thick cob walls give in the temperate climates. So what we typically do when we're, when we're utilizing cob and plasters here is do waddle and daub style. And so, you know, you can have like a very thin wall, four to six inches, or the width of the bamboo, and, um, and then that can be, you can leave the bamboo exposed, the studs exposed, or you can cover them completely with the cob as well. But typically we like to leave the bamboo, but, um, the bamboo exposed, the studs, and then cob between them with, uh, with wattle and daub plaster. Um, yeah, I agree. I've done that a few times and I find it useful to be, at least be able to see the main support columns just in case you're worried about how they might be weathering over time. True, and I think it's more uh, aesthetically pleasing to, to leave the bamboo showing. That's true. It can um, be really gorgeous. Yeah, so, I mean, you know, the applications for bamboo can be anything from a small little hut to a five-story building like they're doing in Bali in the Green Village in the Green School. is uh, You know, they're, they're really on the cutting edge of bamboo design and architecture there in Bali and are doing some really amazing things. They're building million-dollar homes with bamboo that are, that are completely made of bamboo, everything from the flooring to the cabinets to the walls to pretty much every element, even the roof is bamboo shingled roofs. Um, and they, I've got a lot of inspiration uh, from the, the Ibuku firm, I'm sure you're familiar with in Bali. Mm -hmm. um, and, you know, here we, uh, we, a lot of people are, you know, moving to Costa Rica, buying land, trying to break free of the matrix get back to nature, you know, want to have a self-sufficient homestead, grow a lot of their own food. And uh, there's a big growing interest in natural building materials and to, to live in, in a more harmonious 
environment, you know, with, with natural materials, more connected to nature. Uh, here in the tropics here in Costa Rica, a lot of people live in a, an open air style house uh, or, you know, at least partial part of their house is open air and um, letting natural breezes and things through. Like, you know, for instance, I live in a, in a 19 year old bamboo house that was uh, built by my friend here on the farm I live on. Uh, and the bamboo's in great shape, you know, it's, uh, it was treated and, um, you know, it's, it's, it's an open air house, got a nice breeze coming through. I'm on a hillside and it's a elevated platform. And, um, you know, I don't, I don't deal with a lot of the mold and, and mold and mildew issues that a lot of my friends deal with that, uh, you know, have fully enclosed houses. Uh, Certainly. And yeah, in that kind of ecosystem and that kind of, uh, climate having an open air, design and with as much ventilation and you know not needing to batten down the hatches to get away from you know the, the weather of most of the year is a huge advantage do you think that there are applications outside of that climate for bamboo oh for sure yeah i mean i think that um you know the only thing is that a lot of the uh construction grade bamboos are tropical species but there are some temperate species of bamboo uh, from Japan and other um, places that that will grow in even freezing temperatures and are suitable to build with. Um, so there's there's you know I, I've heard of people. The thing is with the carbon footprint. Like if you're importing bamboo to Canada or the U.S. from South America or Central America, maybe it doesn't make as much sense. Um, and that's why I encourage people to to build with local materials and what's suitable for. Uh, their their climate, their environment, and where they're at locally. Uh, you know, I, I I don't really believe in importing things from China and other countries to to build with, which is the norm for your typical Lowe's, Home Depot, box store scenario in the states or, or Canada or, or Europe. Is a lot of those products, those wood products, are coming from other countries. Um, you know, a lot of the manufactured stuff is coming from China or wherever and there's there's a big carbon footprint involved with that and you know I, I really want to encourage people to uh, you know build locally from the the materials that are most suitable for their environment and um, are coming from pretty close by for sure now let's start at the beginning of this I know you already talked a little bit about your treatment methods and how you make sure <clears throat> that the bamboo will last for as long as possible but even before that, when you're growing bamboo in commercial context, it has a lot of advantages for the land itself. Can you talk a little bit about some of the environmental uh, advantages and some of the economics for the integration with other farming practices? Sure. So bamboo has a lot of capacity, uh, you know, to for soil erosion. It can be planted on... Um, on banks, you know, to mitigate uh, erosion, it uh, it can actually help to um, increase the water table in in areas. Uh, it can be utilized for flood control. You know, it can be planted along um, rivers and streams that that may have an issue of annual swelling and flooding, and um, it actually can like trap the sediments and silts and things that are coming down river in a in a flood situation and and like. Uh, end up building up a terrace behind the bamboo of rich organic matter that uh, you know can eventually be planted on when it when it reaches a, a high enough spot above the the, the floodplain. Um, 
and you know it has a lot of uh, a lot of uh, capacity for. Uh, I think that's you know one of the main things is is the uh, erosion control. There's also there's you know there's over 1,500 species of bamboo in the world. Uh, everything from you know a, a very spindly looking like grass like you know quarter inch bamboos all the way up to like uh, Dendrocalamus giganteus species, which can get up to nine inches diameter and have a two inch thick wall at the base, um, which is, you know, massively strong, incredible, incredible bamboo. Absolutely. Um, and bamboo oh. is very, uh, you know, it's an incredibly strong material to build with. It actually, uh, certain species of bamboo have more compression strength than concrete and more tensile strength than steel by weight. Um, which is pretty incredible to think about. Especially for how fast it regenerates as well. Exactly. You know, and it is, uh, it is a, a big solution for the, you know, many parts of the world to, um, you know, cause a, a concrete is a very uh, carbon intensive material to produce and build with. And that's, you know, the norm here in Costa Rica, they have, these prefabricated concrete wall houses that uh, the government will actually build for people for free or, you know, if they apply, if they uh, are applicable for it. And, um, you know, that's the typical construction here. It's concrete and with the, the tin roofs and um, they're like little sweat boxes here. And, oh man, I've seen know, them all over what we would call developing countries or underdeveloped countries. And it's, it's certainly not just Central America. I've seen it in Asia. I've seen it in Africa, all around the world. And my goodness, the, the living conditions that this is creating for such a large portion of the population, I've constantly been looking for alternatives, especially because in many places, I don't know if this is a case in Costa Rica, but you're often very close to communities or villages that were built in traditional ways with uh, vernacular materials, adobe. Uh, we did a lot of bajareque in Guatemala. Have you seen that kind of contrast in the communities you've worked in in Costa Rica? Definitely. Yeah. I mean, in, in the traditional indigenous communities here in Costa Rica, you know, they, they build with, uh, they do utilize some bamboo, but it's, it's more wood, um, like in the, in the Talamanca and the Bribri villages here. Uh, they build a lot with wood and, and thatched roofs and, um, you know, all materials gathered from the jungle. They're not buying anything from, and there still are traditional villages here. They're uh, becoming a little bit more westernized and influenced, but they still have their um, traditional values and, and ways of building. Um, and there, there is a definite, like, I'd say a growing interest and resurgence in bamboo here in Costa Rica. And we're trying to be on the cutting edge of that. Um, and, and also to, you know, we want to, we want to be able to make it an affordable option for people, uh, for the locals and, you know, for low income people that may not have the money to, you know, to build a $50,000 house or a hundred thousand dollar house to be able to, um, you know, I'm working with an architect here to come up with some designs and plans for very small structures, one bedroom with a simple kitchen and a compost toilet that can be built very cheaply with, you know, mostly bamboo and wood. And, um, you know, we want to be able to give people an option that's cheap and affordable and, um, you know, 
built with with natural materials and there can be wall and dob cob options and you know i don't i don't i don't use gypsum i don't use drywall i don't i don't use we don't even use a lot of metal we, we like to make bamboo pins and, and nail everything together with bamboo pins and lash it together uh, of course we will use steel all threads and whatever when it's applicable if it's a, a very structural uh, component that needs to be super secure and you don't you know want to because we are yeah, there's a zone. yeah there's a appropriate applications for all of these things but i I've, I've always respected the way that you've gone sort of the extra mile in the way that you build to incorporate as many of the natural materials or solutions as possible definitely you know um and and we like to also you know we don't we don't like to build such a square rectangle structures we like to build rounded curved walls when we're working with um cob and plasters and to we also you know do incorporate some sacred geometry into some of our designs um you know i've built a lot of octagon uh yoga decks and and sextagons and like um i really i work with a um a very talented uh biomimicry and sacred geometry architect here named michael cranford who uh is down in the ocean he's actually part of my morpho design team and um you know he's been studying biomimicry and uh you know everything from the way that a wasp designs its honeycomb you know and just incorporating what he sees and, and uh, observes in the forest and in nature, uh, how animals and insects and different things and, and incorporating that into, you know, because a bee's honeycomb is like, uh, you know, it's a, it's a sacred geometry design. that's very strong that you can, you can replicate a lot of this stuff you see in nature into the design elements of a house or um, to make it very strong and beautiful. Well, let's explore that even further. Uh, what sort of design possibilities does bamboo specifically open up with the properties that it has, which are different from other materials? Perhaps you might be more accustomed to working with in conventional construction. What, what kind of possibilities are available with this material? Well, you know, in say, let's compare it to, uh, to uh, milled wood. You know, when you mill a hardwood, uh, you cut it into a two by four, two by six, two by eight, you know, four by four, whatever that is. It's a very square, rigid, um, you know, a piece of material that doesn't have a lot of movement and flexibility. Uh, bamboo, depending on the diameter and the species, uh, does have some flexibility. You know, you can curve and conform bamboo. But the great thing about bamboo is that every piece of bamboo is unique. You know, you're not going to have a lot of bamboos do grow very straight and strong, but, you know, a lot of bamboo has a curvature to it, which we like to, to utilize those curves. And, you know, to, you know, you can have a handrail that might have a quite a bit of a, a curve to it. And you just go out and select the bamboo that has that curve you're looking for. So, you know, you can, you can utilize bamboo in a lot of different applications that maybe aren't in an exactly straight uh, line, you know. And, um, you can also, uh, there's, there's ways to like cut pie wedges into bamboo and complete and make a, you know, a complete circle or a square with one piece of bamboo. And you've probably seen that in furniture designs and things where they, you know, they cut out a piece of the bamboo and wrap it around the leg of a chair 
and the uh, you know the seat of the chair can be one conti- continuous piece of bamboo. Mm-hmm. Um, so you know bamboo has a lot of uh, ability to to put it into applications that you wouldn't be able to do with wood or steel or um, other materials. Now, with this biomimicry like you were talking about and some of the sacred geometry, what are some of the, the energy flows and the spaces that you've learned how to make kind of collaborating with other designers with Morpho? Um, in, I'm sorry, can you repeat that? Like, what do you mean? Well, so how has it shaped the way that you look at how you make spaces, facilitate functions, or open up energy flows throughout your buildings by integrating in concepts from the natural world and the way that natural systems sort of uh, function or facilitate other forms of life? Sure. I mean, to me, bamboo and cob and plasters, uh, they just have a, a more of an, a feng shui and um, good energetic feeling of the house when you're inside of it um you know with with natural materials in general but especially bamboo with the round structure of it you know and and like to put your hand on it it just it just feels good you know and it looks good and it's uh, aesthetically pleasing um you know there's there's not a lot of square corners and things in nature you don't see a lot of 90 degree edges and, and things out in the forest or uh in 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 nature in general and so for me, like bamboo is a beautiful material. You know, there's multiple species and colors of bamboo. There's some beautiful black bamboos that we utilize for construction that can retain their color if, if treated properly and, and sealed. Um, they will some have a tendency to, to brown a bit if they're, you know, exposed to UV, uh, a lot of UV and sun exposure. Um, but the, the applications for bamboo are you know, go way beyond building as well. It can be a food, you know, you can eat bamboo shoots. Uh, certain species are, um, you know, been used in, in cuisine all around the world for thousands of years. Uh, the textile uses of bamboo for clothing. I don't know if you've ever owned any bamboo clothing, but it's super soft. It's like, you know, softer than cotton. Um, and it's a, a really feel, feels good to, to wear bamboo clothing. Um, and uh, and obviously, I don't know if you how much you know you or the listeners know about cotton. It's a very intensive uh, sprayed and water intensive crop to grow, whereas bamboo is not, and it can be a, a solution um, in in replace of cotton and for textiles and, and and whatnot. And then, you know, of course, there's a lot of engineered bamboo products. Um, flooring, you know, tongue and groove flooring is sold throughout the world. Uh, bamboo flooring, and then. They're actually making bamboo laminated beams that um, are very strong. You know, can be a, a two by twelve beam that's actually separate um, tablas, pieces of bamboo that are glued and pressed together in, in a heat form, and um, and they're very strong. They're like laminated beams. Um, I would imagine those would have better tensile strength per weight than equivalent ones with wood, just because the interior fibers are significantly longer. And that's usually what gives it its flexibility. And even when it does break, it tends not to fail catastrophically. That was one of the really important things I learned about working with bamboo in Guatemala is like, it can still fail without losing the building. Like you can get it to crack or buckle a little bit, but it'll still hold a lot of weight, even in its failed form. Exactly. Because, you know, the, the, like it's 
for instance, like a termite damaged piece of bamboo, which I've seen a lot here um, where, you know, the bugs have gotten in there and eaten most of the interior wall of the bamboo, but the outer skin is what they, they don't actually eat. And you, it has crushed. I've seen like bamboo rafters on a roof that are crushed and, but still holding together because it has that outer skin that hasn't, um, but unlike wood, like, you know, if it, if it cracks, it's usually going to snap and, and collapse the roof. Um, so yeah, I mean the, the, the outer skin of the bamboo. And like you said, the fibers run continuously all the way up the bamboo, uh, along the, um, the whole continuous piece of bamboo. Um, so yeah, you're, you're correct in that, that the, uh, the engineered laminated pieces of bamboo, I, I feel are, are stronger and um, safer to use than, than wood. Well, so let's go back for a minute and talk about some of the maintenance and increase of lifespan options that there are. Like you said, the, the proper treatment from the bamboo that you order or that you source is probably the first step that you can take in really ensuring a long lifespan in your bamboo with the borac, uh, the boractic acid treatment method that you mentioned. I've also heard of saltwater or seawater treatment options. And then from there, you said the others were sun damage and moisture damage. What can you do to prevent or mitigate those risks? Sure. Um, so yeah, if we want, I can just kind of run through some of the other treatment options. Uh, yeah, by all means. Bamboo. And there, you know, there are multiple ways like in Japan, they do, they actually soak bamboo for six weeks or more in the, you know, tie it with ropes or chains down to weights in the ocean. And actually what it's very similar uh, in the end result of what you do with borax and boric acid, because, you know, th those are our salt based products that, uh, are basically pushing out the sugars, sugar water and replacing it with salt water. And so what you're doing uh, in the, in the salt water uh, ocean scenario is you're just soaking it in there, freshly cut bamboo. And uh, it's, you know, taking in the salt water and soaking it into the fibers and, and, you know, leaching out the sugar waters. Um, you know, there's also um, another easy method uh, for treating and especially a more economical one without having to put together a butchery system or have a dunk tank is you can actually use the natural processes of photosynthesis and transpiration. Um, so you can cut bamboo in the field and, you know, have buckets with your borax and boric acid solution in the bucket. And you can cut the bamboo, um, just take the, take it while it's still alive and full and lean it up into the clump and just put the base of the bamboo in the bucket depending on the diameter of the bamboo, you may do three or four per bucket or maybe just one per bucket if it's a really large piece of bamboo. But the bamboo is still alive when you first cut it. Uh, the leaves are still attached and the branches and the photosynthesis is still actually happening for a few hours. Um, and so when you put it in that bucket, what it actually does is it'll draw up that solution and percolate it all the way up through the, the entire piece of bamboo. Um, and, you know, we've done that in the field where I've, I've, you know, in trials and like experimentation where we took like a uh, seven inch diameter Guadua and had a five gallon bucket with about three and a half gallons of solution in it. We put that one cane in there and left it for 24 hours. We came back the next day and there was maybe less than a gallon of solution in there. So, you know, that, that cane had sucked up about two and a half gallons or more of the solution and we dyed it, you know, with a, a little bit of blue food coloring. 
And this was, um, you know, like a, I don't know, it was like a 15 meter piece of bamboo, maybe a little more. When we dropped it and cut off the top, there was all of the fiber walls were blue. So, you know, it had, it had drawn up that solution and percolated it through the entire cane. Wow, that's um, impressive. That's, that's an easy uh, way to do it. And a lot of what, when we're, when we're boots retreating in the field, you know, we'll, we'll cut the canes down to the size we want, put them on the machine, and then we'll leave the top, I don't know, five to seven meters of it, of the, the comb, and we'll put those in the buckets because there's still a lot of usable pieces there, but they're, you know, a little smaller than, than we want to, to attach to the boot tree. And we leave the branches and the leaves on and we'll put those in the bucket and leave those for a day or two out in the field in the bucket. And then we can process and cut those branches down. The branches can be utilized for furniture, um, you know, the small branches, the, um, and then the ends can be utilized for small rafters on, on small structures or whatnot. Um, so that's the transpiration uh, method. It's uh, pretty effective and uh, easy to do and very cheap way to, to treat bamboo. Um, you can also do smoke uh, curing of bamboo that a lot of people um, in Asia, they have some like more industrial style setups where they put the bamboo in a big uh, enclosed like shed and they do it vertically usually. And then they'll have like a big uh, oven or a rocket stove and they'll channel the smoke in, into the chamber and it'll, it'll smoke cure the bamboo, which I don't have a lot of experience uh, or knowledge of, but, it, but that is a method that's utilized in Asia. Um, but uh, one of the, I think probably the most effective, but it's a, it's a very expensive to invest in, is the oil pressure treatment um, uh, treatment systems where they actually they have a pressurized oil tank that the bamboo goes in and you're you're putting in um, whatever type of oil it is that they use I'm not exactly sure but they actually it impregnates the the whole bamboo by pressure treatment uh, of the it's like a vacuum chamber I guess and they, they pressure treat the bamboo with impregnating oil directly into the into the fibers of the bamboo um, but I think the, the two main uh, ways to treat bamboo throughout the world and the most common are the butchery system, which is the pressure treatment system where you have an individual uh, piece of like a rubber connection that goes over the bamboo with the hose clamps. We have different sizes from two inch to six inch that um, for the, you know, to match the size of the bamboo you're treating. And then that's connected to um, a PVC system that, holds the solution and then um, you know we have an air hose and a compressor that uh, attaches to the top of this PVC setup that pushes the solution into the bamboo at 16 psi is the the uh, ideal pressure that we've found and you know within a couple of minutes after hooking it up and turning it on you will start to see water drip out the other side of the bamboo um, and that's, that's pushing out the sugar waters that are in the bamboo. And depending on the species, it can take 20 minutes to up to an hour to treat a cane, um, depending on the, the length of the cane and the fiber density and the species. Uh, like black bamboo treats very quickly. You know, you can do six or eight meter pieces in like 20 minutes. And um, you can test the pH of the bamboo, uh, the water coming out through, with like a little, you know, pH, like paper test strip. That's one way to determine uh, that all the, the sugar waters have been pushed out because the, um, 
the sugar water that is naturally in the bamboo will have a certain pH and then the, the salt water will have a different pH. And so that's one way to check it. Or a lot of times we use a, a dye, you know, to, um, to dye the solution. And then once you see like the dyed solution start to drip out the other side, you know, it's finished. Well, certainly in the case of treating with oil, does that start to affect its flammability rating? If it's impregnated with oil, does it become more flammable? Um, it probably does. I mean, you know, what we, um, we do like to seal bamboo, you know, after we, um, after we treat it and then we start, we build with it. Uh, we do like to put a, a natural lacquer. I, I use linseed oil a lot. Um, and that is to preserve the bamboo and to retain the color of the bamboo and to um, mitigate, um, you know, to preserve it, to, to make it, the longevity of the bamboo increase. Um, one thing I'd like to dive into real quick that I, I didn't talk much about or yeah, about me. is, um, you know, besides the insects, like the beetle borers and the termites that like to eat bamboo, the other big thing um, that you have to watch out for is uh, fungal attack. And um, that's why it's very critical to make sure that after you treat and dry the bamboo, you cure it and dry it to a certain percentage of dryness and then keep it at that percentage and don't let humidity and moisture build up on or in the bamboo because uh, fungus can grow inside of the bamboo. And then once you start to see the signs of fungus on the outside of the bamboo, it's already compromised, um, you know, because it grows from the inside out. It'll start in the, in the nodal chamber. Um, and then it'll, once you start to see black fungus on the outside of the bamboo, you know, it's already impregnated in it. Um, and so those are the two main concerns with, uh, with bamboo is the propensity um, for fungus but you, you can mitigate those issues by, you know, drying and curing it properly. So once you treat the bamboo, if you're doing a dunk tank or you're doing a butchery pressure treatment system, then you want to properly dry the bamboo. And so we like to uh, vertically dry it for a week to two weeks, depending on the species. Um, and then, then we'll put it under shelter horizontally on racks and then for, further cure it for another four to six weeks. Um, and the color will change in the green bamboos. It'll start to lose the chlorophyll and um, turn more like a brown or tan in the curing process. Um, and, you know, that's very important. It's a very important step because a lot of people, you know, build with bamboo. They, they just use it green. Uh, they'll cut it and just immediately build with it. And, um, you know, yeah, those structures can last three, four, five, even 10 years I've seen, but, um, you know, uh, the insects will attack it usually, um, and compromise the bamboo. And then, you know, if it's, if it has any direct, uh, moisture exposure, then you can have that problem with, um, with the fungal, fungal issues and mold. Um, but you know, when it's treated properly and it's dried and cured properly, it really can and is a lifetime building product. And in Colombia, man, they have houses that are 150 or more years old that are multi-generational bamboo houses. Um, That's remarkable. And 
Yeah, so like the traditional, some of the traditional methods of um, curing in bamboo in Colombia is they actually do not use borax or boric acid or, or anything is what they do is they actually cut the bamboo in the field, uh, leave it, you know, just leaning up into the existing bamboo clump and set the base on a piece of rock or a piece of wood and leave it for four to six weeks. And what happens is it dries and, and cures and has like a vinegar vinegarization process where it uh, naturally dries out the sugars and, and whatnot. I, I don't know the, the whole science behind it, but I do know that, that it does work. Um, I have had a friend here in Costa Rica that has done that process with all, uh, the bamboo he's used to build his structures. And most of the structures on his farm are about 12 years old. There's no signs of insects or, or, bam, or you know, uh, fungal issues. He just lets it dry naturally in the, in the clump with the branches and the leaves still on it. And uh, I think what it is is, um, you know, photosynthesis is still happening and for a while, a little while after you cut it. And so it's utilizing up a lot of the sugars and starches that are in the bamboo before it, like, fully dies. So uh, that's kind of my theory on it. So if that's been shown to work so effectively in the past, how come there's not more, uh, I guess, use of those methods in the more industrial or construction industries for bamboo? Yeah, I mean, that's a good question. Um, you know, there are a lot of industrial uh, treatment processes that use a lot of harmful chemicals um, in Asia and, and in South America. Um, where they use, you know, all kinds of different things, sodium pentanate and like, uh, copper sulfate is, is, is one that's utilized a lot that, um, does, you know, is a harmful byproduct to, to put out into, into the environment. And I don't even know what they do with the, the spent solution and stuff, but probably not, you know, getting into waterways and things. Um, so that's why, like, I, I really, um, like borax and boric acid. It's a proven effective treatment solution. They've been, um, I think it was pioneered originally in Bali, uh, you know, maybe uh, in the 70s. And um, they've, been, they've been doing it there for, you know, decades. And that's, um, that's what they do with the Green School, and the, which is like a, a huge bamboo school that they built in Bali. And then they have a whole green village community that they've built around it. Um, that you know there's some five-story incredible houses there um and they're they're treating with borac and boric acid and it's you know it's a it's a proven proven treatment solution that is effective and works and um you know it's pretty cheap you can you can buy a 50 kilo sack of it fairly cheap and um you know and and if it's done properly uh either by a, a dunk tank solution or uh, a butchery system you know it can really be a lifetime building product and, and a, a sustainable regenerative solution to, um, you know, cutting down hardwood trees to build with and, and utilizing um, a lot of these uh, other materials that have a high carbon footprint and uh, a negative impact. For sure. Now let's go back to one of the things that you said that you used to seal the, the bamboos with once you started to build and that's linseed oil. Now, I've used that in some of my own bamboo projects back in Guatemala, and I was always a little bit disappointed with how it performed, especially for UV protection, making sure that sunlight didn't come in and damage it. And you also said that you use it to preserve the color of the bamboo a little. However, in my experience, it's often left almost like a burnt or an oxide type of a color once it gets in contact with the sun. 
Are you using any other types of solvents or additives to get it to well, perform the, better? There is another, pro yeah, linseed oil, I should, should say, like if, if there's any direct sun exposure, you're right, it's, it's not the best solution. Um, there is a product that we use here that's water-based called Laromax um, that, uh, that I, I've, I've used a lot on bamboo that is going to have some sun exposure. Uh, and it's a clear, clear lacquer. Um, uh, I'm not sure of exactly what it's, what it's made of, but, uh, I have actually been talking to a friend that's been using, um, a new, uh, hemp oil based wood sealer product that, uh, for wood that he's been using and, and he's having good results with it. And I'm interested to explore that, um, and, yeah, and certainly and if anybody's listening to this uh, on the podcast, please feel free to reach out to us if you know of any good ecologically responsible products that help with the UV protection of bamboo or wood. Um, it's something that I'm always on the lookout for, mostly because though I may find one in, in a certain region, it's not always available everywhere. So getting a, kind of a poll from people who've worked with materials like this and, and products that they've found useful would would be great to hear from too so please get in touch with us if you know of any um exactly yeah i mean i'm definitely on the lookout for more uh you know ecologically friendly sealers lacquers and products and um you know i i uh i have experimented on some wood with an iron oxide based uh sealer um but it kind of turned the wood like a almost like a, a dull orange color. So it did change the color of the wood, um, but it's a powder. It's like an iron oxide based wood sealer and um, preservative that, uh, you know, you mix with five gallons of water. And, um, you know, I did have good results with that for wood, uh, but I haven't experimented with it yet for bamboo because I was a little worried about it changing the color of the bamboo. Um, yeah, I've always so, found that yeah. tricky too. Like you kind of got to do some test patches, but unfortunately with especially the more organic compounds or the ones that aren't too chemically based, they can change significantly in tints and color over time. So it takes a while to figure out exactly how it'll perform wherever you might be. Like I love linseed oil, like you mentioned, but I've always found it better for um, interior applications and it does kind of either weather or kind of be a little bit inadequate in um in exterior applications especially when you're trying to overcome uh uv damage definitely definitely um yeah i mean that's the thing is like you know bamboo will have the propensity to crack when it's got a lot of direct uv exposure um you can mitigate some of that with uh you know proper curing methods and making sure it's fully dry and cured before you you build with it which is very important um, but you know, bamboo also like when it's in, in a, say a roof rafter scenario where you have like uh, metal directly on the bamboo or, you know, just with like a, an, uh, three quarter oh, yeah, yeah, sure. right above it with that heat of the, the, the metal heating up and, and being close to the bamboo, it can, it can, um, sometimes have the tendency to crack the bamboo as well. Um, but the, the thing about bamboo is even if, it, you know, you get these cracks in it, it's, it's still structurally very strong and it's not in any danger of failing or, um, you know, collapsing as, uh, as you meant, we mentioned earlier. Um, 
you know, the, the I found the, the issue with cracking like that is it becomes an inviting place for pests and insects to live in. So it might not be causing any issue for the structure itself. It's not going to fail, but it can attract pests because it's a perfect little environment for them to live in. Sure. Yeah. You know, and bamboo does have some maintenance involved as, as most all, you know, building products do. You have a lot of maintenance with wood as well. Um, but you know, that's, you definitely want to, um, I think that's really the, one of the most critical elements is in the treatment and the curing process. Um, so that you can mitigate any chances of fungal growth in the bamboo. Um, make sure that, you know, you, you get out all the sugar and starches so that the termites and the beetles aren't attracted to it and going to eat it. And once you actually impregnate it and flush all that out and impregnate it with the borax acid, borax water, uh, they actually can't eat it. It'll kill them when they, when they take a bite of it, the, the salts aren't uh, palatable to, to those insects. Um, and I, you know, they have that kind of a hive mentality. So they'll probably take a bite out of it and warn their buddies is kind of my thoughts on it. Stay away from this bamboo. Sure. Uh, no. Yeah. I mean, go ahead. No, no, to change gears just a little bit. I'm wondering since you've been teaching courses on bamboo building for quite some time, could you tell us, kind of what the learning curve and getting started is and the types of tools or machinery one would need to be effective as a bamboo builder. Sure. Yeah. So, you know, you can really build most things with bamboo with some simple tools, simple hand tools. It does of course help to have some specialty tools, which I can outline. Um, but you can really do most basic bamboo construction with a handsaw, a chisel, um, and you know a drill uh with you know a drill bit um there's really you know you can build basic bamboo structures with not a lot of tools um you know we, we use uh pruning saws that have uh, fine teeth that um aren't specifically manufactured for bamboo but there are some that actually are that you, we get from japan silky is a really good tool brand that um, uh, most of my bamboo saws are silky. It's a Japanese tool company. Um, they make really quality uh, tools. Um, so, you know, you want a good handsaw with a fine tooth. Um, for like basic bamboo cutting, you know, it needs to have at least seven and a half teeth per inch. Um, and then you get into like the 14 teeth per inch for like the more finer tooth uh, saws that we use for bamboo furniture making and more detailed like um, cuts and things. Yeah, I find uh, that un, like, often overlooked is because of the longer fibers and that silica content, especially on the outside of the bamboo, it can be really easy to leave frayed edges if you have a much uh, larger tooth saw. And so I think yeah. what you're stressing right there is, is important to highlight that if you want to have clean cuts on your bamboo, if you don't want to have strips coming out that can cause unsightly marks on the outside, having those smaller teeth is really useful. Definitely. And when you're cutting uh, like a larger diameter bamboo, you know, if you're, if you're cutting a piece that's got a lot, like the end cut that's going to fall away is, is pretty large. You definitely want to have someone supporting that, like catching it. So that, you know, cause if you're just cutting oh, yeah, it, it can and fall and it split. Fall, yeah, it'll definitely have the propensity to, to like peel out, peel a fiber layer on the outside. Uh, and another good point is you want to underscore your cuts uh, for those larger pieces of bamboo where you underscore the bottom side with a, a few cuts and then match up that line 
and that cut from the top, then that will mitigate the the peeling uh, aspect a lot. If you yeah, can, yeah. Line that up perfectly. Um, but yeah, we use like um, you know chisels, uh, spoon chisels, which are curved gouge chisels, a lot to make holes in bamboo. Um, you know, for inserting another piece of bamboo when you're doing furniture and things. Um, we harvest bamboo with chainsaws. Um, you know, you can, you can, of course, harvest it with a machete. You can harvest it with a, 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 a sawzall with a nice pruning saw blade on it. Um, but for, you know, ease of use and like the to, to more efficient and quick to, to harvest with a chainsaw. And, uh, you know, you do have a, some bamboo canes, you know, a big piece of ginger calamus at 60 meters tall could weigh 400 pounds. So you really want to be careful of um, not pinching your blade, you know, when you're making that cut. So we'll do a, a relief cut in the front and like maybe a pie wedge cut and then come from the other side at an angle so that you don't, you know, pinch your, pinch your uh, chainsaw blade. Um, and I actually use, uh, I have two Makita 36 volt battery powered chainsaws that are quite uh, sufficient to work with and, um, you know, don't require any fossil fuels and can just be, you know, recharged on your solar battery bank. And uh, so I, I use those to harvest bamboo. And then we'll use um, just a machete to chop the branches off and then a sawzall with a nice uh, pruning blade that's got like uh, fine teeth on it um, to like process the branches and, and you can cut, cut the bamboo down to size with that as well. Um, and then another basic tool that, that, you, uh, that we utilize in bamboo is a, a hatchet but it's not your like typical wood hatchet that you're that uh, people would probably envisioning when I say hatchet, it's more of a long uh, slender hatchet. And we use that for splitting bamboo, um, you know, for trimming branches off. And um, there's a lot of applications that we utilize uh, the hatchet for, um, but a handsaw, a good bamboo hatchet, a few chisels, um, you know, you can, you can do most bamboo construction with those simple tools. And then we have a lot of specialty tools that we use. Um, you know, we have bamboo splitters that are like uh, steel um, pie wedge pieces that either like are four, six, or eight segments. And you can, um, you can start that on one end of a bamboo and utilize, you know, a wooden mallet or something and hit it into the bamboo. And it's going to push through the bamboo and, and, and cut it into perfectly even segments of, for bamboo splits. Um, and that's, that's for, there's a lot of applications for bamboo splits. Um, and then we utilize those tools. Uh, the other main thing that we use is a drill, um, with a drill bit to make bamboo connections. Um, so where you can pin two pieces of bamboo together with a bamboo nail or an all thread piece of steel with, uh, nuts and bolts, um, washers and, and nuts, I mean, and you know, that's one way to connect bamboo. Um, also we utilize hole saws for, um, making what's called a fish mouth connection on bamboo. It's basically a half circle, um, you know, where you'll cut through, drill through the whole piece of bamboo with a hole saw and it leaves, um, you know, a half circle that the connecting piece of bamboo will sit in. So for instance, on a, on an upright post in a, uh, in a wall, you can, you can put a fish mouth cut. You want to do it right above a node where it's most strong, you know, within like five, six centimeters above a node. And you make that half circle cut and then your beam, 
your other piece of bamboo that's going to sit across your post will sit perfectly in that and it's going to be a you know very close to the same diameter bamboo so it actually sits in there perfectly it's got a nice aesthetic connection point and then you know you can underneath that that post you can put in a, a bamboo pin or a piece of steel and then you can lash over the um the beam to make a, a lashing connection with like it can be multiple different types of um box lashings with a frap or, or there's you know multiple styles of lashings that we use um but that's uh we do that a lot and um I mean, yeah, there's the lashing good. techniques that I most want to come back and work with bamboo to learn. I did a lot of uh, steel connections and like you said, the all thread rods to, to make those connections strong for the houses that I built in Guatemala. But the lashing, I mean, the, the history of that goes much further and I feel like there's much more artistry in it. To say nothing of the fact that it can often be stronger if it's done correctly, no? Uh, I think so, for sure. You know, you, you, you do want to... Um, you know, typically, uh, the best lashing, unfortunately, is not like a supernatural style of lashing. It's like a polyester or nylon um, cordage. But those are the ones that last, you know, the longest. Uh, w with um, like natural hemp rope or like uh, other type of natural fibers, they just especially here in the tropics, they don't last. You know, they'll really have you worked at all with the McGay, the stuff from the cactus? You know, I haven't. I haven't. And See, I've, that's I've, one that we had in Guatemala, and that rope lasts for a really long time. I don't know if you've worked with manila rope, too, for coconut fibers. I would imagine that there's some way to make that or get access to it in Costa Rica. Both of those I found, though, the, the, the manila fibers tend to lend themselves to kind of thicker grade rope and maybe wouldn't, would be too large of a diameter for lashing and bamboo. But the maguey, you can get it really thin, and those fibers are extremely strong. And they don't really fall apart in heavy weather either. You know, what, one, one thing that we've been experimenting with and having good results with is actually uh, banana fibers. Um, no kidding. Yeah, my, uh, you know, my mentor Rodolfo uh, showed me this. And basically, you know, the, the bananas, like, it's like a layers, you know, there's, there's, it's an herbaceous plant. And it's, it has the, what you do is you peel off some of the, the layers of the, the stalk of the bamboo, I mean, I'm sorry, of the banana. And then you, you cut it into strips and you dry it in the sun. And then it can be woven together to make incredibly strong lashing and rope. Um, and, you know, we, uh, we actually demonstrated that in our last course using it in, in a piece of furniture. And, uh, you know, according to Rodolfo, you know, he's, he's built with it and seen it last 20 years or longer. No kidding. Um, and so I am doing some experimentation with that and, and braiding these banana fibers together um, and experimenting with, uh, with lashing techniques with it, uh, you know, just really diving into that now. Um, but yeah, I'm always on the lookout for a more, more natural lashing materials. Um, and, uh, you know, cause it's, it's definitely, the way to go if, if it can last and if it can be durable and if it can withstand the, the test of time. Yeah, for um, sure. And then, you know, I think it's important as well to once you do lash everything and get it sensed down tight is to uh, lacquer over the lashings to, um, you know, mitigate any stretching from the sun or, uh, 
once they're lacquered over and kind of like locks it all together and keeps it from uh, loosening up ever. And then we do a lot of what's called frap lashings where you'll do like a box style lashing where if you have a perpendicular pieces of bamboo that you're connecting together, um, you will do what's called a box lashing and go over it and then you'll frap the lashing around the rope itself uh, to tighten, to cinch it tighten tighter, even yeah. more. Yeah, to cinch it up against itself, uh, which creates an incredibly strong connection and um, you know, super, super tight. And there's, there's really no moving it once, once you lock that down and, and, and tie it off. Yeah, that's the only one I'm familiar with. I'm really looking forward to, to learning about the others. I really got into knot tying and lashing when I was working as a maritime engineer. We had to actually pass some of our tests on all the knots that we learned during school. So ever since then, I saw those as like cool puzzles, but also ways of attaching things like bamboo is a really cool application. Now, before we wind down on this session, Trey, can you tell our listeners how they can come out and see you and learn for themselves how to work with bamboo? Sure. So, you know, every year we're putting on uh, bamboo building immersions here in Costa Rica. Uh, we just wrapped up a course back in May, and we, we also did one in, in January. We had such a great response for our January course. I really wasn't in, uh, planning to do another one this year, but we had 27 students for the uh, course in January. And right after the course, I had a lot of emails asking when the next course would be, so we went ahead and decided to do another one in May. Uh, and there's just been a great response um, to the courses. And um, yeah, so we're, we're going to be putting on our next bamboo course in January 2020 uh, down at my friend's farm uh, down in the Osa Peninsula, Finca Morfo. Um, and then, you know, we also uh, do teach other courses uh, in Cobb and Plaster and I'm looking at uh, bringing a friend down to teach a rammed earth course. Um, and so, but, you know, we, we are focused mostly... Um, in bamboo that is my preferred building method and material and uh really want to empower and inspire people to to build with bamboo um so yeah we have our next course uh be putting uh together the dates and um getting it up on my website by the time this this uh, podcast comes out our website will be updated with the the new dates and everything and people can um check out our videos on the main page of my website uh, we have uh, you know, a very nice video on our bamboo immersions and then some testimonial videos. Um, and yeah, my website is naturalbuildingcr.com. And they can, um, they can contact me there if they have any questions about any natural building uh, projects. That, that, you know, we also do contract services. Um, you know, so I do offer, uh, I have a crew and you know, we, we build bamboo houses, we build with cob, adobe, plasters, uh, stone, and wood. And, um, you know, we also have a full-scale permaculture design firm that we uh, started last year uh, called Morpho Design. I'm working on a, a new website for that. Um, and hopefully that'll be up pretty soon. But, um, you know, we offer full-scale permaculture master plan design services and implementation. Um, so we're starting a big nursery as well. I'm starting a, a bamboo nursery and, uh, you know, a tropical fruit tree and all the support species, the mineral accumulators, nitrogen fixers, ground covers. Um, we're we're uh, starting a big nursery project here 
to be able to supply the plants for our permaculture design projects and to also supply bamboo plants. And the other big project I wanted to mention um, is I'm starting a, you know, a big bamboo treatment operation soon, um, hiring and training five guys to harvest and treat bamboo five days a week so that um, I can have bamboo for all my building projects that we produce and supply ourselves and then uh, be able to sell to the general public as well. Very exciting stuff, man. Trey, it's such a pleasure getting to explore this topic with you further. I really hope that I can coincide or like um, schedule the next trip that I have to Central America with one of these courses. I'd love to dive in deeper about bamboo. Awesome, man. Yeah, we would love to have you. Um, yeah, man, my, my mentor and who the other main instructor that I teach with, Rodolfo Sainz, is really uh, an incredible bamboo master and artisan who's been working with bamboo for over 30 years. Um, and I've, I'm just very grateful to be able to teach these courses with him. He's a master bamboo furniture builder. You know, he, he worked almost exclusively building bamboo furniture for over 15 years. And then uh, the last, you know, 15 years, he's been working as a natural building contractor and um, working a lot with mostly bamboo, but with cob and plasters and adobe. And uh, it's just an incredible master of so many disciplines. And I'm very grateful and thankful for his mentorship and to be able to teach these courses with him. And, um, you know, we brought on a, a third instructor, uh, my friend Joshua Daniels, who is also a master bamboo uh, builder who um, I've worked with at the Envision Festival here in Costa Rica the last five years. And uh, he added a huge element to the last course, bringing him on board. Um, he's a master treehouse builder and timber framer as well. And um, you know, I worked on a few treehouse projects with him. And we're excited to, to start working on some uh, bamboo treehouse designs and projects here in Costa Rica. Um, but yeah, those are the three main instructors for our bamboo course. And then um, I also bring in my friend Henry Glenn, who uh, is the expert in the bamboo treatment. And so he comes in, demonstrates, you know, in, in the seven day bamboo course, it really is a deep immersion into the world of bamboo where, you know, we harvest and treat bamboo with the students. So they see that process. And then we always have a main building project during the course. Uh, the last course, we just built a six by six meter greenhouse during the, uh, during the course. And then the last course in January, we built a black bamboo shower structure at Finca Morpho that we're, uh, we'll be limestone plastering and finishing um, this, uh, this coming year. Super exciting. Sounds like you've got a great team together there. Well, again, Trey, thanks so much for taking time to break all of that down for us today. I'm really looking forward to being in touch further and, and hopefully planning some more collaborations as we move forward. Excellent. Yeah, man, I look forward to coming up and uh, seeing your project in Guatemala as well. And, um, and seeing, uh, what's that? Charlie, is that the guy's name? The bamboo master up in, up in Yeah, Charlie, my friend and mentor. If anybody's interested too, I've got other podcast published with Charlie Rendell from uh, Return to the Forest in which he breaks down a lot of his own experience and techniques with bamboo building as well. So feel free to check those out. I'll have links to everything that you just mentioned, Trey, as well as those other podcasts that I mentioned on the show notes for this episode at AbundantEdge.com. So again, thanks so much for taking the time and let's stay in touch. Definitely. Thank you so much, Oliver. I appreciate the opportunity for the podcast and I've been very inspired by uh, by your podcast and it's definitely my favorite podcast and I uh, you know I let all my friends know about it and I've learned a lot from uh, previous episodes and 
really enjoyed that, uh, that episode with Charlie that you mentioned. Thanks, man. All right, well, cool. Take care. We'll be in touch. Okay, thanks a lot, Oliver. Bye. Thank you so much for tuning into this week's episode. As always, you can find all the show notes for this and all other episodes at AbundantEdge.com by clicking on the podcast tab in the navigation bar. On the website, you can also find a whole range of educational articles, as well as the services we offer from design and consulting to education. While you're there, don't forget to take a look at the courses and workshops we offer, which are all designed to empower you to take back control of your life by giving you the skills to produce your own food, manage landscapes regeneratively, build your own homes and structures with natural materials, and most importantly, to dream ever bigger about the highest potential that you could achieve for yourself, your community, and the planet that we share. I'm very grateful to all of you who have added comments and send feedback to me. Your contributions help this to be the conversation and dialogue that it's meant to be. For anyone else interested, you can email me and the whole team directly at info at abundantedge.com. And all of your feedback makes these episodes and interviews so much more engaging and help me to give you the information and content that you want. Thank you so much for listening, and I'll see you again in next week's session.